in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee. It's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now, your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris. Welcome to As I See It. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Kegris, coming to you live from Cool Springs Eye Care. You know, it was about a year ago when we heard about the virus from Wuhan, China, or Wuhan, China, that seemed to be traveling around the globe and on its way to the United States. And, well, it did arrive, and it did affect us in the United States medically, financially, economically, and really psychologically. And in the spring of 2020, we talked to various doctors around the country to see how it was affecting them. In particular, we talked to Dr. Steve Tuck, who's hospitalist in Macon, Georgia. And we wanted to talk at that time about how contagious it was, how it was spreading, what he was seeing in the hospital setting. Well, we're now almost a year later, and nicely, Dr. Tuck is joining us again. So welcome, Steve. Well, I appreciate you having me back, Dr. Kagris. After um, as many things I said that turned out not to be true, I'm surprised that you would want to have me back, but I do appreciate it. We're actually giving you a second chance. No, actually, truth be known, you were the first one that identified the r not factor, if you will. And uh, you might remind our audience about what r not is and uh, where... How, how that's tracked, why it's important, and kind of where, where do we think that is now compared to a year ago when you uh, gave your estimate? Well, the r not is a very simple statistic um, that if, if you had COVID, how many people would you likely infect during your time when you had, had the virus and were contagious? An r not of one means that you would have infected one person. Anything above one means that the virus is propagating, growing outside of a controlled situation. Or not of less than one means that you're infecting less than one person, so the prevalence of the virus should be going down. Um, In the state of Georgia, during um, uh, August Late July and August of last year, we got up to an R naught of over 1.2. Um, this year, after the um, the uh, Christmas, New Year's holidays, same thing. It is now trended down, and the R naught in the state of Georgia right now is less than 0.9. And so, and, and that's being reflected in the number of people that we're seeing um, in the hospital. Okay. All right. So that was my next question as to whether you're seeing as many people admitted and if that's because uh, more people being vaccinated, uh, more people have had it, therefore they're not passing it on as much, uh, or is it the reverse? We've got a whole lot more people coming in because we've got a lot of virulence and, and sicker people. What are you seeing? We're actually seeing uh, our numbers uh, in Mill, Georgia, uh, in the hospital, uh, have decreased a little more than 50% in the last six weeks. Uh, the state of Georgia, uh, I think uh, five, five weeks ago, this coming Friday, had a peak day of over 10,000 new cases. Uh, last Friday, it was about uh, 4,500. Uh, in our hospital census, um, my group uh, handles a significant number of patients uh, for, uh, for the Navis and Atrium Health System here. And uh, we peaked at around 70 uh, inpatients a few weeks ago. We're down to about 
30 today. That kind of makes it tough, doesn't it? Because I know a lot of these hospitals had to build separate wings or devote separate halls and wings to just COVID-infected patients. And now there may be some that have this big area that is dedicated to that. How, how do you handle that in the hospital? Can you say, well, that was COVID, but now we aren't having as many cases. We can still take care of other people there, or are they still limiting it to COVID cases? We, we still have uh, uh, a couple of ICUs, a couple, a couple of uh, floors that, um, uh, and I say floors, 30 beds or so that are still COVID-designated floors, but we're sort of unwinding that. There is a surgical floor that um, 10 days ago was a COVID floor. It, the COVID patients, as we discharged from other areas, those patients were, that were still left on that floor were moved to one of the COVID-dedicated uh, floors, and they came in and cleaned that whole area uh, over about a two-day period. Tomorrow, it opens up back as a surgical floor. So the unwinding the, the, the takes place as much planning and possibly more planning than even than it did to prepare for the surges that we've seen. Yeah. How's it been when you have had, I mean, you can't keep people in the hospital forever. They need to be transitioned someplace else, but they may not be able to go back to their retirement center immediately or can they, I don't know. Um, how about those intermediate steps, kind of that coordination of care? Has that been a, has that forced a, a real difficulty in the system or um, how, how are you guys handling yeah. it in Georgia? It has at times, uh, and that's a lot of the stress. The people we put in the hospital, a lot of them um, uh, improved clinically within, you know, 24 to 48 hours. We're on a low-dose box, and we have a, a virtual uh, clinic that is run by one of the residencies here where the patients can be sent home with a, a thermometer, blood pressure, uh uh, gauge and a pulse oximeter to just monitor things, and they meet with uh, over the computer a couple times a day with a clinician. Though, if you have somewhere to quarantine folks, if they can go home, they've got access to the internet, they have a support system to make sure they get fed, etc. Those patients, a lot of them went home very, very quickly. You get a lot of folks in, you know, the. Uh, in an inner city population that don't have those advantages, a lot of those folks ended up staying long after they were contagious even because they may require oxygen. They didn't have anybody to help take care of them. They you know, did not have access to adequate nutrition. Um, so we've had patients that have stayed far longer than the CDC guidelines would have indicated simply because they did not have a safe discharge. But that occurs in inner city hospitals with with a lot of different diseases and traumas, et cetera. So it's not something that we are unfamiliar with. But with the surge of COVID at times, the um, the system was trained, and you know we spent we spent a lot of time triaging uh, very mm-hmm. carefully to different areas of the hospital to make sure that the res- proper resources were in the proper area. Yeah, I mean that, that involves an awful lot of work with social workers and some of the other community resources on uh, as you're evaluating patients right you know what you're going to do clinically but you're kind of limited in as to where they're going to go based upon something outside of just the clinical decision right exactly but if we had not had the virtual virtual clinic we would have had a lot more issues it gave allowed us to get folks out of the hospital and really monitor them closely uh and that's one of the things I think you will see come out of this is advances in virtual medicine so that patients 
I have more access and more convenience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes these crises force us to be a little more innovative than we would have been on our own, don't they? Absolutely. So there's some new variants. We hear this a lot in the news, not that you can trust everything or most things you hear in the news, but let's, that's a separate topic. But um, but we do hear these variants. I don't know if that's to scare people or just keep people informed that, gosh, we've got this South African variant. Um, we've got one from Great Britain and we've got one from who knows where. Um, are, are you seeing the, can you identify those clinically, number one? And number two, if you can, are some of these more virulent than others? Tell me. Every virus, every bacteria changes over time. And there are variants of COVID that are more virulent. There are um, variants that are less virulent. You're not going to hear about the less virulent ones, obviously. That doesn't um, uh, bring out the television or get clicks on a computer. The the main thing is that if you've had COVID-19 in the past few months, you will be in all likelihood, unless you have a serious um, immune system problem, you're going to be immune to the to the variants. Uh, and if you get the vaccine, you, uh, 97%, 97% chance you're going to be immune to the variants. Uh, so it's, it is a normal thing that we see in medicine, but it's, um, uh, it's being played up to, uh, uh, to keep people's attention mm-hmm. probably more than anything else. Yeah. The people that are susceptible to it, um, uh, are the elderly the people with serious medical problems. Some of these variants are going to be more deadly, but the key thing is we've got the vaccine now. And so hopefully, um, we're getting those people vaccinated as quickly as possible. So we've got two vaccines approved at the time that you and I are recording this, one that is going to apply probably in the next week. Um, so we've got two messenger RNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer. Uh, are you all using both, in, or is the state of Georgia contracted with both? or just we've, got one of both, those? we've got both here. I personally uh, have had both of the Pfizer's. Okay, okay. And what are your thoughts on the two-shot vaccines? Are you seeing most people get both shots, or are you having any difficulties with some people in the higher-risk categories having one and then not being able to get back for their second? And what ramifications does that seen, have? Yeah, yeah I, there is a immunity that most people get with the first shot. Uh, the second shot takes the immunity somewhere from 85 to 95 to 97% of the people become immune. And also we think that the second shot is going to lengthen the time that the patients are immune. I have not seen, um, and I'm in a rather controlled situation being a hospitalist, Mm -hmm. but the reports I get from uh, uh, the health department and uh, the ID physicians is that most people are coming back and getting the second shot. As I see it, we'll be right back. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Jeff Kegaris with Cool Springs and Donaldson Eye Care. We've proudly served the Middle Tennessee community for the last 26 years and I want you to know we really appreciate you. Having an annual comprehensive eye health and vision exam is so important to the health of your eyes. From signs of diabetes, glaucoma, and cataracts, we're looking for it all. Don't let another day go by. Schedule your annual eye health and vision exam at Cool Springs or Donaldson Eye Care. 
And now, back to As I See It. You think already we're seeing some of the benefits of the vaccine and your hospital census numbers going down on the COVID floor? Oh, I think there's no question. I think there's three things going on okay. from the standpoint of that we're hopefully seeing this wind down for the last time. We don't know for sure, but I think this is a much better chance than the, than the two previous surges. The first one is um, you've got more people that have had it, and I think you're going to – we're going to look back. Uh, this seems to be the trend, and I think I mentioned this a few months ago. Mm-hmm. When we look back on this five years from now, we're going to realize a lot more people had this than we knew because there's so many people that were asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably everybody listening knows somebody that has that went to the physician for one reason or another, um, had to have a procedure done, gave blood, whatever, and they tested positive antibodies and knew that, and never really knew that they had the virus mm-hmm. and don't know where they would have gotten it. Um, the other thing is, the, the second thing I should say is the vaccine. And the vaccine become, become, has become more and more prevalent, especially once the Pfizer vaccine, excuse me, once the Johnson Johnson vaccine is approved. And the final thing is, I do think you're seeing people become a little more compliant. Um, I think there was a kind of let our guard down uh, December, early January. People were weary tired of, you know, uh, wearing masks and not seeing friends and family. I think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel now that people are starting to see that, well, the numbers are coming down, the vaccine's out there. You know, my parents or my grandparents have had the vaccine. I'm going to be in line for it in the next few months. And if, uh, and, you know, we, it's a whole lot easier to wear a mask, wash your hands, try to social distance inside if there's a finite limit on how long that's going to last. And I think people are starting to see that there, that there is a, that this is going to be over in a foreseeable time now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas a few months ago we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, uh, uh, certainly I agree with you, a lot of COVID fatigue that people were experiencing here in Tennessee. Oh, I'm just so tired of this, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, that some of that, then ends up being I'm not wearing my mask as much or I'm not taking as many precautions and a little bit of uh, fighting it perhaps but uh, I think I think you're right maybe even if we have some of that still now we're not going to have those holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas where people are traveling as much so that's that's not going to spread as much however uh, more people vaccinated is a really good thing if I'm sitting here right now if I'm a hypothetical patient and I go geez I need to sign up but I haven't been able to get online at the county health department or whatever to sign up and should i sign up now or should i just wait for that one shot deal that's coming that's likely to come we think in another couple of weeks got any thoughts sooner better than nothing yeah the johnson johnson somewhere 72 to 75 percent effective in, in giving immunity. Uh, now you got to remember there's no test with any of these shots to go determine if you're immune um, I've had both Pfizer's, but there's no test they can do to me to determine hmm. if I'm immune. My assumption is that I am. My hope is that I am, but I have no way of knowing. The um, And everybody says, well, the Johnson Johnson is only going to be 72% uh, effective. If we get 72% of the people in this country that are immune, this this goes away mm-hmm. because the host just has no place. No, the, 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 there are no hosts for the virus to, uh, to get into consistently. Um, to 
cause disease. So I would, at this point, the the viruses, um, to me, the vaccines appear to be very effective, very safe. Um, and I, I will say this, there's been, I've heard people say, well, they did this, um, did this without paying attention to the detail. It took so, it, it usually takes so long to, to create a vaccine, you know, years and years and years to get, to, to, to create it, to get it, you know, to get it into people, to do the test subjects, to get it approved. This was ingenious the way they did it because the data was fed into a supercomputer and basically about 10 minutes they had the formula for the, for the MRA, mRNA uh, vaccines. And the reason they were able to get them approved so quickly is that you had so many people that wanted to sign up. To, to be to be test subjects. I mean, they had more people than than they could handle initially, and so what normally took two to three years to get enough um, people in a trial it was compressed by sixty to seventy percent. So the number of subjects that they'd had to test the effectiveness and the safety are just as significant, just as durable as the as any other vaccine we've ever ever done. It's just because of technology and the number of people who wanted to get a test vaccine that were so scared of the virus, uh, we were able to recruit those people very quickly. Now, what we don't know at this point that we would usually know with a vaccine is the length of the immunity. And so these test subjects are gonna be followed for years. Um, and with um, hopefully in the future, we'll be able to do a test to see if someone after the vaccine is immune, that will come at some point, I'm sure. But at this point, we just have to test the percentages of people that are getting sick with COVID after they've had the vaccine. And what period of time do they appear to not be uh, immune? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it possible and this I, becomes an annual flu shot-like thing? Uh, okay, it's time for I, your annual COVID yeah, shot. I, the, the, the ID people that I've talked to uh, their estimate is somewhere between two and three years of immunity with this, okay. with the vaccine. Most people that get a coronavirus are immune from anywhere from 10 to 18 months. Uh, and so if you've had it, there's a good chance that even if you, the antibodies go away, you still have the immunity for that period of time. The, the detectable antibodies go away in your blood to have the immunity for a period of time. Once again, we're dealing with a lot of stuff that, we don't know for sure. These are just historical pieces of information that we've gathered, you know, for, you know, not from this virus over a short period of time, but other viruses and vaccines over a long period of time. But as I, I think I said in the previous podcast, when I was in medical school, one of my attendings told me because 50% of what we're teaching is wrong. We just don't know which 50% yet. <laughs> and that's in hyperspeed in this last year. Mm-hmm. So many things that we thought were right, that we felt sure have turned out to be completely false and things that we thought were false have turned out to be have turned out to be true so it's uh this is this is an ongoing project but the, what i will tell you if you get offered a vaccine you're not allergic to it or com- the components of it take it mm-hmm. because there is no indication that these uh have significant side effects. In fact, these were even tested on uh, the vaccines were even tested on pregnant women. Now, and there weren't any complications with the pregnancy, births, et cetera, and um, uh, in early 
development that they know so far. Now, you don't know 21 years down. We never tested a vaccine for 21 years and see what, what happened with um, offspring of people that have been vaccinated in test groups uh, ever. So it's, you know, I, I doubt there'll be an issue, um, but it's this isn't outside of the testing process. We were just able to do it much, much quicker than ever before. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Dr. Tuck, I want to ask you a question about the side effects of the second shot and whether we can ameliorate those and whether we even should try. I know that's a big word for you guys in Georgia, but uh, whether we even should try to uh, to lessen the kind of the immune response. Uh, so I'll, I'll be right back with you in just a second. Thank you. All right. If you're just joining me, this is Dr. Steve Tuck. A hospitalist in Macon, Georgia, very well-renowned, revered hospitalist, runs a group uh, at a number of hospitals down there. He was with us on a podcast about a year ago about the COVID uh, crisis, if you will, and now we're catching up to date to see how things are going in south-central Georgia. Dr. Tuck, we appreciate all your information you've given us so far. Very, very helpful, just like it was last time. When we went to the break, I I said to you, um, you know, a lot of the people that we talk to, now maybe this is anecdotal, I don't know, but are saying, hey, when I got the second shot, within about 12 to 36 hours afterwards, I kind of had mild flu symptoms, kind of aches and pains, maybe a low-grade fever, just kind of, I just didn't feel really good. And so they said, is it okay then to take Tylenol or Advil or an antihistamine to help my symptoms? That's the first question. The second one is, if it's okay then, can I take them preventatively before I get the second shot? What are your thoughts on both of those? Yes and yes. Okay. Uh, there's no indication that taking uh, Napsin, Motrin, Tylenol uh, ahead of time, uh, in fact, I've encouraged uh, uh, my associates and the patients I've dealt with that have had the uh, the vaccine to take uh, an anti-inflammatory, uh, nostril anti-inflammatory, a couple of hours ahead of time. And then if you do get the symptoms, at, as far as we know, it's fine to take. It does not affect the immunity or the effectiveness of the disease. So even the people that, that will say, whoa, whoa, wait, afterwards is fine, but not before, because what you're really trying to do is trigger the immune response, and you don't want to dampen that. You don't, no, you don't put a lot of, put no, lot of faith in that. No stock in that at all. There's, okay. there's no data to suggest that. Okay, great, great. Um Question. First of all, before I ask you any more questions, what should I be asking you about this COVID vaccine? What do you want to make sure that our listeners are aware of at this point in time? Anything that's, that stands out? It, it would be hard to say something um, new and inventive. Uh, this is, I think this is going away over the next few months. I hope it is. We all do. Mm-hmm. Still be vigilant uh, when you're in close contact with other folks. Wear your mask on to protect yourself or to protect them. Because people, once again, I think we have a lot more people that have been infected or asymptomatic. And um, uh, and we've seen those in, those type of people in the hospital. Sailing, wash your hands. And just uh, and if you get the chance to get the vaccine, get it. And I think that's how we get over the hump, but it's not anything that that's revolutionary that hasn't been said over and over again the past few months. If you've got a business or an office who's had, you know, 20%, 25% of your people who have had the COVID virus, they've needed to stay home and quarantine and all of that. Now they come back. 
there have been some questions of, do we need to sterilize offices better if we have a certain number, I mean, in the office uh, after or, or maybe after they return or before they return uh, to try to, uh, if we're starting to see a peak in an individual office, say I'm running a subway or I'm running a financial office here in town. Got any thoughts on the public health side there? The the virus is not as contagious on surfaces as we thought. And when this started, there were people that were spraying their groceries with Lysol when they came in, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the package stuff. If, if I'm infected and I've just touched my face, touched my mouth, some secretions, I touch a doorknob, you come in two minutes later, touch the same doorknob, and then touch your face, there is a reasonable infectivity um, from that standpoint. But once it's been on a surface for a period, you know, uh, just if your hand has not been close to your face, no bodily fluids, you touch the surface, somebody comes by 20 minutes later and touches it, it's almost negligible. Uh, but so in an office, if somebody has their own computer, it doesn't need to be sterilized every day. If you've got surfaces that people are using, and I think probably um, uh, in an office you have, you know, people touching countertops, et cetera, um, at the front desk or, you know, in restaurants, they're doing, I think, a good job for the most part of, you know, cleaning um, tables. I think there's a, you know, fortunately, I think there's a uh, increased emphasis on that that's not going away anytime soon. Those type uh, um, intentional acts are probably good. I think that somebody coming in every day with their computer and they and they spray it down with Lysol just it does not make uh, medical sense to do that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's it is infectious. It is infectious, but mostly it's the droplets and and it's, and it has to be your hand is clean until you do something to make it dirty. Gotcha, gotcha. What do you say to the anti-vaxxers out there? They're still on the fringe. They're saying I'm just a, I don't want to do any vaccine at all. Uh, I understand, you know, there are people that sometimes for religious reasons, sometimes for other reasons that uh, of their own uh, will decide that. I think that's a relatively small number of people in this case with this disease, with the publicity that it had. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's a small enough number of people in our country and the world in general uh, gets past that without um, them being forced to take a, um, a, a vaccine. And at this point, most Healthcare institutions are not forcing their um, uh, employees to take the vaccine. I think it's a little early. It, all the data says it's effective, it's safe. Um, the flu vaccine, unless you have an allergy to it, most hospitals require uh, their employees to uh, have the vaccine if they work anywhere in the hospital. And if the data comes through, as most of us expect, I, I would think in a couple, three years, you will see more and more businesses, especially in the healthcare industry, uh, requiring uh, their employees to take a COVID vaccine along with a flu vaccine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if somebody's had COVID in the past, you mentioned that there was some level of, of um, protection, but they still should be getting their vaccination, correct? They should be. And I think initially we were talking three months I think as we get more experience, uh, the CDC is going to revisit that. Uh, I know a number of people that have had it within a month and have gotten the vaccine and um, have not had any issues. Uh, but I think, once again, that is a piece of data that 
we're not going to know the exact right number for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. So listen, we've taken up a lot of your time and you've really helped us with a lot of things. I do have another question and that is everybody wants to know, man, when are we going to get back to normal? So I'm going to ask this in a different way. A year from now, well, 11 months from now, which is more likely? Alabama wins another national championship. You guys count by twos, don't you? Anyway, um, and, or or um, you and I are sitting watching a BCS national championship and not having to wear a mask. I think both those probabilities exceed 90%. <laughs> As an Ohio State fan, I'm happy with one of those and not with the other. So, <laughs> Dr. Tuck, I really appreciate your help. Again, if you have uh, questions about COVID and uh, that we didn't ask and you want answers to, we'll follow up. Please just email me at drkeg at coolspringseyecare.com. Dr. Tuck, I appreciate very much you being on the front lines, keeping us healthy, getting us uh, treated when we are in the hospital and getting us out of the hospital and back to our lives. Thank you for your uh, your efforts and conversation here in educating our, our listeners. I appreciate it very much, Steve. It's been very enjoyable, and I'll be happy to uh, answer questions anytime for you, Dr. Keggers. Thanks a lot.